Yo, yo, and welcome to the Professor Jones and the Digs podcast. My name is Dave Jones, and I am the Professor. My name is Danny Jones, and I am the Digs. Professor Jones is a podcast dedicated to the art of film and cinema. Every month, we choose a certain theme and pick three movies within that theme. Every week, we break down one of those movies for our movie of the week. And this week, we are continuing in our comic book movies theme and month with the cult classic, V for Vendetta. And it also is a very special week because we have the second guest of all time in the Professor Jones history. We have our very own Zach Hartman, a.k.a. the Tube Sock. Why don't you say hello to everybody there, Zach? Hey, this is Tube Sock. Happy to be here. Happy to be <laughs> recording with you guys. Happy to have you on, buddy. Zach has been one of our one of our very good friends since uh, Zach and I went to high school together, and he knows Danny just because Danny's my brother. So there you go. Well, and Danny, Danny's well, the adopted little been, brother. We have more of a relationship than that. <laughs> I mean, I, and Danny kind of knows him. Danny just knows him Danny a kinda, bit. Well, you guys know each other because Zach and I were. You know what I mean? You get what I yeah. mean, right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. We're not offended. Um, but we brought Zach on for this episode because he is the resident V for Vendetta expert. I would say that out of the people I know, Zach likes this movie more than anybody else. So we brought him in to do this episode, and it should be a great bit of fun. Um, but that being said, we're going to continue to start off with the bro down, which is a segment in the show in which we talk about something relevant that happened throughout the week. doesn't necessarily have to be related to movies, but that's always encouraged. So Danny, we're going to let you start off this week. Go ahead. Well, I, know, I know you guys had bets on this, I think, right? You guys had like bets on what I was going to do. Yeah, I think I know what you're going to say. <laughs> well, we both agreed what you're going to say, though, so nobody's going <laughs> to... Everybody uh, loses if you don't pick it. <laughs> the popular children's show barney is oh. coming back on the air no okay uh so my bro down this week uh lucasfilm kathleen kennedy and disney uh, all just announced that ryan johnson is going to helm a trilogy of star wars films after uh seven eight and nine is done I'm not really sure what that and, and it's supposed to take place um in a separate area it has no ties to the skywalker saga and legacy um, it's going to be a complete separate thing. So it's kind of just like assuming that episode eight does really well. This is probably exciting news. Um, what are your your dude's thoughts on this? Zach, why don't you take the lead on uh, on your uh, thoughts on that one? Um, I say, uh, for the most part, more Star Wars, the better. I love Star Wars and anything to do with it. So anything more, especially uh, live action film. In particular, I, I'd say that's great. And I think it's great, too, that we can experience something more than just the Skywalker uh, story. So just delving more into the lore of Star Wars, I think, is great. Like um, KOTOR, for example, the video game is a Knights huge, of the Old Republic. Yes, thank you. Is a huge Just in case favorite. anybody didn't know. Um, and I love Nerds. just the... <laughs> yeah. Uh just the lore of that and getting to play where there's no relation at all to Skywalker. So I'm excited for it. Yeah, I think that that 
that idea instills two ideas in my head. Um, first of all, I mean, that's awesome. Um, I will very much look forward to what that could be and, um, what, uh, Ryan Johnson will bring to that. I wonder if it's going to be a, another story about force users, because that's another thing that I'm concerned about is if you take, if you take the force out of star Wars, is it even cool? You know what I mean? Cause it's like, it's like how, taking the magic out of Harry Potter. Sure. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's like Rogue One, although there were, you know, people that were using the Force a little bit, um, there still weren't any Jedi. And for that, for me, that was kind of like, okay, you know, it just it just wasn't as cool of a movie as any of the actual saga. So, um, I mean, that's that's a concern, but I'm very much looking forward to whatever they come up with. I think that it, it will be awesome. But the fact that they chose Ryan Johnson to helm yeah. an entire new trilogy after that, it's like, man... Episode eight has to be awesome for them to just green light that like that much in advance. And that, also, that was the first yeah, thought also, that I had. They have that much faith in him. Yeah. Green lighting it before episode eight comes out. It's yeah. like if they would have done it after episode eight and it's a phenomenal movie, it's like, yes, Ryan Johnson's doing that. But now it's like the weight of the world is just on this poor guy's shoulders. Oh my gosh. Can't even imagine. A lot of pressure. But that's, I mean, they must I have was a lot up to of direct faith it, in him, actually. Though. They asked me to. I was they emailed to, you, so it would have been me. Yeah, <laughs> we all wish it was. Could we imagine Danny? Danny's first project, episode nine. Um, let's let's go ahead. <laughs> so out of his first time director. <laughs> Hi, Danny Jones, first time director. Um, so I want the laser sword to be um, right there, and Skywalker. Uh, hi Luke. <laughs> oh, hi Luke. Uh, can we get fan. a couple more puns in there, Danny? <laughs> <laughs> Just so many puns. Um no, yeah, I think that I think that it'll be amazing though. So, I'm um, I'm so excited for episode 8 and uh I hope that it is that it as is as good as we're expecting it to be just simply from that information. So, um, yeah, I love Ryan Johnson. I think that he's got a good, good feel, uh, for what star Wars is and should be. So I'm excited to see what he comes up with in episode eight. And I'm excited to hear more about that upcoming trilogy. So any other thoughts on the Ryan Johnson thing, guys? Uh, I don't, I loved looper. Um, I loved the Breaking Bad episodes that he's directed. I think he's. Which episodes were those? I know. I think he did Ozzy Mendias, right? Yep. Ozzy and The Fly from. Yeah, The uh, Fly, right? Season three. And he did one more, I believe, too. I think he did three total. See, it's nice to have another Breaking Bad fan here on the podcast, finally. Because Dave, I know David likes it. But he's I not. watched it once and it was like, well, that was really good. I'm never going to watch it again because I it is so online. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, it's, it's really good. It's not the type of thing that you can sit and watch all day. You know, it's not True. like I just feel happy inside when I watch freaking Breaking Bad. You know, it's like even Game of Thrones is a very like dark and uh, deep content. But when you watch it, it just makes me happy. Breaking Bad has the complete opposite effect. I'm stressed out and I'm sad and depressed when I watch that show. And so, I mean, yeah, I know it happens. I got through all of it and i really enjoyed the process but is it an experience that i'm willing to have again maybe not maybe in a couple of years yeah maybe in a couple of years actually <laughs> i don't know uh, you're wrong david <laughs> <laughs> you're dead wrong one of the best shows on television <laughs> i said that breaking bad is a good show i just don't want to watch it again it's not like i'm calling a a generally accepted movie like Wonder Woman, just a bad movie. So, (laughs) (laughs) 
I hated it. I didn't it's think terrible. it was great. <laughs> hey, well, there we go. <laughs> wait, you didn't wait, wait. You didn't like Wonder Woman either. Not really. I mean, it's a good movie, though. You <laughs> can't hate on it just too much. Plops. I don't know. D- well, I take that back. V for Vendetta. That's DC. No, that's a good that's point. True. That is a good point. Yeah. So that's yeah. a good so, DC movie. Well, before we get into a whole argument about Wonder Woman, yeah. Zach, I know that you had a bro down that you wanted to bring up. So why don't we let you go ahead and okay. do yours? Um, first, all, first off, let me say, uh, Danny, that was what Dave and I thought you were going to talk about. So uh, I think I owe Dave $20, even though I agreed to it. Um, wow, I owe you $20 as well. So <laughs> We don't have $20. We'll just call it, I, man, if I only had $20. <laughs> Make it 50 Um. So my bro down is uh, Ridley Scott is doing a movie called um, All the Money in the World. And I'm not really sure what it's about, but I did see that they replaced Kevin Spacey with uh, Christopher Plummer. Oh, yeah. And uh, they reshot all of Kevin Spacey's scenes with just six weeks before the release on the 22nd of December. and. Um, I also saw that that was not the first time that Ridley's had to deal with something like that. Um, I looked online and it said that he almost had to abandon Gladiator because Oliver Reed, the guy that plays Proximo, died died three weeks before principal photography ended. Um, So they rewrote the script and they used a body double and CGI to keep Reed in the movie. So... I thought that was pretty interesting. I think poor Ridley, like that must be super stressful, awful to have to go. Well, to it's gotta movie. be the worst. Yeah. To have to completely redo a movie because of one major, major actor, either not being able to be in the movie anymore or because of their, uh, death. Um, and you know, that happened in episode eight with Leia. So it's like with Carrie Fisher. So that must be an extremely stressful situation. What is this movie though? Well, all, what did you say it was? It, it's called All the Money in the World. And it, like from the little bit that I read about it, it's about some like, I think I, it's about some uh, Italian boy that goes missing. And the grandfather, who was going to be Kevin Spacey, but now Christopher Plummer, um, decides to pay the ransom. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know really what it's about, but it has uh, Mark Wahlberg in it. And I think Michelle Williams. Hmm. Hmm. Who's Christopher Palmer again? Is that the guy that was a, that's not the sound of music guy. Is it? I don't know. (laughs) I think he was in, he was the guy in beginners. I think with, uh, Obi, Ewan McGregor, Ewan McGregor. I can't picture that. I think I can't picture his face. I think that's the guy from sound of music, right? It's got, I think it is too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it is. Michelle Williams too. You said, I believe, yeah. And Venus and Serena, are they going to be in the movie as well? <laughs> I'll, I'll look it up real quick. Hey, Venus Williams see is like married to somebody famous. Um, ch- yeah. It's, I saw it's some that the young, other day. Some young person that I was like, what? Yeah. They're married? I saw Franco. that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's James Franco. Absolutely. Um, yeah, gosh, that's interesting Williams. though. Um, and then Christopher Plummer was most known for Beautiful Mind, Sound of Music. 
That's him. Oh, yeah, that is him. Nice. Good job. Nailed it. That Uh, was that Christopher Plummer. Why did they, why did they let go of Kevin Spacey though? Is it because of the whole like, uh, um, sexual misconduct thing? Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they dropped the house of cards got dropped as well. Well, and I was actually thinking about bringing this up too. Like a lot of people in Baltimore are employed because of house of cards. So due to Kevin Spacey, um, a lot of Baltimore is out of work. Jeez, man. There's like an entire, how many people would work on house of cards? Is it hundreds? Probably a couple hundred people involved in the production of that show. I would imagine. Uh, looks like they're just going to have to reshuffle the deck. You know what I mean? Hey, we got a joker here. Call a spade a spade. Nice. So I like that one. I like that. That's very interesting. Very interesting. Um, you know, we're, we're about 14 minutes into the bro down. I, uh, should I bring mine up guys? Do you want to hear what I had sure. to say or should we just move yeah. on or just talk about okay. wonder woman or either just talk about <laughs> wonder woman either more. way. Um, <laughs> okay. So here's the deal. Uh, since it's veterans day today, this will probably be dropped on Monday or something like that. Um, I wanted to bring up an interesting point that somebody had brought up to me. Um, so my favorite type of movie are historical movies and more than that historical war movies. Um, and in that sense, movies like gladiator or Braveheart or movies like that. I mean, the action in there and the war that is depicted is so old that the characters, they, they have no relevance to us anymore. Really? You know, it's like, I don't really know. Um, nobody can say that they were truly related to uh and somebody from roman history or something it's like maybe you could probably see it that far back but it's like you actually hold them as part of your family but so a movie like saving private ryan or um you know full metal jacket or platoon or something like that 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 uh depicts modern history um do you guys think that that is a good representation of warfare and that is um paying respect to people that took part in those events or as somebody else pointed out they think that it is somewhat of an exploitation of the people that went through those events uh to over dramatize and over glorify uh what warfare is um so i i just thought i wondered what you guys thought about that do you support modern war films or do you think that it is somewhat exploitive of people and what they've gone through uh, don't all jump that, up at once yeah. <laughs> well, I'll, uh, i can go um i think anymore it seems a little more exploitative than it maybe used to be like when you say a war film i think of like saving private ryan and i think that's an excellent movie and i think it's very tastefully done um and it does honor those who fought in World War II um, in a in a good way. But I don't know anymore. It just seems like they prey on uh, like it seems more political now anymore with war films like uh, the the thing with Hillary Clinton, the oh Benghazi. Yeah, that movie. 13 hours. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think that. That to me just seems like more of a political statement and a way for people to capitalize on people's anger towards Hillary in that moment than it does about who a, did, a war movie. Who mm-hmm. did that one? Was that Michael Bay? That yeah, that Benghazi was Michael one? Bay. Yeah. 
I think that he thought that that was going to be a lot, a lot better and a lot more serious than it was. I think that he might have thought that that would have had, you know, Oscar written on it that he could have possibly won yeah. something for for that. And that's just not the case. I mean, he's not a great director by it any means. It was bad but timing too. Yeah, yeah I agree. I, I think I think movies that I mean, a lot of times it's it feels like Hollywood's kind of just capitalizing on it now. Um, I really did love Hacksaw Ridge and Fury. Um, and we were raised, yeah, they were, they were great. And we were kind of raised on all these movies. So I have a hard time saying that it's, um, it's not, it's not the right place or the right move, you know, for a studio to do, um, anymore. I think that these movies are great. I think that they do honor, uh, the people that fought also world world war two is almost getting, getting to that point. There's not that many veterans left yeah you know right. yeah um, anybody that lived through world war ii is starting to get to the point where i mean that was in 1945 you know 1940 1945 so anybody that was in world war ii is is at least 70 80 years old you know yeah. what i mean yeah i mean you and have I, been I, born so you have to be like 80 over 80 years old close over to 90 80 years old to have participated I think, I think the political movies are usually the nom movies you know a lot of those movies that were made were trying to make some sort of a statement. Um, mm-hmm. and I feel like a lot of the world war two ones were just honoring, you know, the veterans. Cause that, I mean, I don't know. It, yeah. It, but it's Especially tough to with, say with world war two movies. I'm, I'm all, all for it. Um, I guess, I guess a big thing is, is movies like, you know, like Jarhead or, um, yeah. you know, that, that concerns like desert storm or, um, you know, three Kings, uh, American sniper. There's plenty of movies that have come out recently that depict, you know, events that are much, much closer to us. And yeah. depending on, depending on the content, it's like, what are you, what are you, what are you aiming for with, with what you're shooting? Um, and a movie like Hacksaw Ridge, I love Hacksaw Ridge and I thought mm-hmm. it was so awesome, but it also is every awesome story that you've heard about world war two crammed into one movie. So it's kind of, you know, it's kind of like, what, yeah, what's really the point is. of this? What, what are you trying to say? Um, and I'm not, I'm not saying that I agree with that, but somebody said that, that they don't like war films because they think that they exploit the participants, uh, that went through those experiences. And that's not at all my opinion. Uh, I'm a big history guy. I love war films. I think that they're just the best. And I try to, it's not that I necessarily find, find it. I do find it entertaining. I do find them very entertaining, but I also like to see a representation of what somebody went through on film like that, because that's the closest mm-hmm. saving private Ryan, for instance, that scene, the landing on Omaha beach, that's the closest representation that we can really ever see of what happened at that time. Other than some of the, you know, the actual footage, but you really, or the, my I chemical mean, that, romance video. Does it <laughs> do that? <laughs> They did, yeah. It was like a oh, World boy. War Two, yeah. Oh, weird. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that's <laughs> but that's about as close as a representation of war as you can get is what Steven Spielberg did there. So I thought that was an interesting point. And since it's yeah. Veterans Day, I thought that it might be nice to have a conversation like that. So, well, that's good. Um, I think uh, too. Uh, I I haven't played it, but. Um, uh, I think it's call of duty or yeah, just came out with yeah. the world war two world war two. And I, I thought I saw somewhere where they do like an Omaha beach, um, landing a D day landing. So, I mean, anymore, it doesn't even have to be cinema. It can be through other mediums. Yeah, where absolutely. Get, where we get that, uh, 
representation of what it was like. Yeah, it's crazy. Like now, like little nine-year-olds are sitting in their living room, living, you know, looking through what eighteen-year-olds were going through in nineteen what forty-two. Yeah, and that's also something that yeah. I mean, if you're talking about Omaha Beach, that would have been nineteen forty-four. But I mean, thinking about like a nine-year-old or like a ten-year-old playing World War or playing, you know, uh, Call of Duty and playing through something like that. I don't think that they can fully understand or grasp what they're yeah, really the doing what, or what this yeah. means. Maybe if you're watching a movie, I, I don't know. That's, that's interesting though. Like the video games thing brings up an entirely different point. You know, if you're just walking through this, uh, killing Nazis, killing redcoats, you know, that, that type of <laughs> yeah. idea and that, that mentality. I mean, that's, that's a whole nother discussion entirely. So that Absolutely. I like that though. Yeah. But anyway, um, we better get moving, but I thought that was good. And, uh, we, you know, we express our sincerest gratitude to any active or former military service member from professor Jones and the digs and tube sock here. Uh, but on to yes, the main event. And actually, uh, mm-hmm. before we start, Dave, you are a student of history and, uh, there is some historical relevance in this film. Would you like to share some of the background? Absolutely. I appreciate that, Zachary. Um, so, uh, V for Vendetta, uh, it harkens back to an event called the gunpowder, uh, gunpowder treason or the gunpowder plot, which was actually a group of radical Catholics that were trying to blow up. Uh, I think it was the house of commons and, um, in this or the house of Lords or something like that. And in this, they say, uh, parliament and I think, which would be the house of commons either way. It's not that important. Um, but at this point in British history, uh, Everybody was Protestants because Elizabeth had just died. And so the Catholics were being mistreated. Sorry. House of Lords. Okay, perfect. Um, But the Catholics were being mistreated and forced to pay penalty taxes if they didn't attend Protestant church. And so a uh, group of Catholic radicalists believed it was necessary to try to blow that up and try to kill uh, James of Scotland. I think it's James II of Scotland, who was the king of England at that point. And uh, although Guy Fawkes was pretty much just a uh, he was just one of the one of the guys that was taking part in the plot. He wasn't the the main guy or anything like that. He was the one that got caught. And so he's often the one that gets referenced when you talk about the gunpowder treason and plot. Um, and so that's basically who this entire movie is based off of. They have the whole scenario in which it shows him get caught and then eventually hanged. Um, and so they have the mask that's made after him. Um, but in uh, British history, they often celebrate November the 5th, the day in which this took place, and they burn an effigy of Guy Fawkes in celebration of what he did. Uh, not necessarily celebration, because uh, King James wanted to burn his effigy and have this be a holiday every year to commemorate how they foiled this plot, but eventually it became somewhat of a satirical holiday. And so that's why they ended up doing it um, throughout time. So there you go. That's the gunpowder treason and plot in the most simplest and quickest way possible. Something interesting, something uh, interesting that I found, cause I was looking at this earlier. Well, first off uh, guy Fox real first name is Guido. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy guido fox <laughs> that's funny um did we know some guy named guido when we were in california maybe wasn't that spanish for something 
Well, Guido, Guido is, is like referencing. Um, I don't know what Guido means actually. Well, I know no, it's, it's like some sort of. It's a reference to someone's like. Uh, I don't know. Um, what's their the Guido? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll cut yeah, that it's out. referencing their Guido. <laughs> cut that like, out. you know, <laughs> I Guido, you Guido. Um, no, also something because at the very beginning of V for Vendetta, it shows, I think it's that's Guy Fox that they're trying to show, right? Um, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. And so they show was him, the guy that was delivering all the dynamite or the, excuse me, the gunpowder. Yeah, the explosives under. And so he was the, the guy that got Lord. caught simply because he was the pawn. Yeah. Um, one thing I found interesting was it actually says on here that. Guy Fox, he was not hanged. He was supposed to be hanged. And uh, he actually fell off the scaffold where he was supposed to be hanged and broke his neck, avoiding the mutilation of hanging. Really? So he, hmm. Yeah, he fell off and broke his neck and died and was like never hung. Like on purpose? Yeah, something. I don't know. It says, I mean, it says here. Bummer. But, yeah, it's, he it's actually, interesting. He was the first one to get caught and everybody else pretty much got away. Um, yeah. But they held him and tortured him for like two days until he gave up the names of those, the others that were involved. And, uh, oh, then they pretty much cornered them after like, I don't know, a couple of days or a week or something. And man, those guys got like drawn and quartered and everything ripped apart by horses. Totally brutal. Oh Just my god! Oh dude. It's so bad, man. The way that they freaking executed people in 16, the 1600s. Oh, would have been they awful. They were taken behind the chemical shed and shot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There you go. <laughs> to reference the movie, perfect. You know what'd be worse um, than that, though? Sitting in a room and somebody just has a big box of saltines, and you have to no two boxes of saltines, and you have to finish both boxes, no water, while whistling. While whistling, <laughs> <laughs> that would be. I think that'd be worse than the horse thing, but. <laughs> that would no, that would be me. horrible man that sounds terrible come on um, just give me give me some fruit or something anything <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's good um so uh v for vendetta though we this movie came out in what was it 2006 correct 2005 five you, no it didn't five or six yeah, yeah. It's 2006 2005 that's what it says on imdb no, I went and saw it on my birthday, my senior year of high school. Well, I'm looking at the IMDb right now, and it says 2005. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. I agree to disagree on that one. So, um, no. <laughs> uh, but since uh, since we got Zach here as the as the guest for V for Vendetta, why don't you start us off with your initial thoughts on this movie and just uh, why you like this movie and why it's important to you? Okay. Um... So right off the bat, uh, when she's doing that little monologue right at the beginning, um, she's talking about how you can't hold an idea, you can't kiss an idea, but you can do those things with a man. And I just, I, I think that's a really interesting um, idea to bring up that an idea, and they mention it several times throughout the movie, like, you can't threaten an idea. Ideas are bulletproof. So I just like the way they played with um, a person versus an idea and uh, V's transformation throughout the film um, as he becomes more of a man and less, not less of an idea, but just more of a man towards the end. And he realizes his uh, humanity 
I guess, towards the end. Yeah, absolutely. Danny, why don't you go ahead? What do you... Um, you know, this is a movie that I hadn't seen for a little while. Everything that the Wachowskis do, though. I mean, Speed Racer is my favorite film. Um, I loved Cloud Atlas. The Matrix goes without saying. Sense8. Yeah. Eh. Uh, want me to keep going? Um, <laughs> um, but you know, uh, I, we recently watched this the other night and, um, I just, I love it. It's incredible. I really didn't catch a lot of the stuff, um, that I did this time around. Like, you know, in the past that I've, when I've watched it, I haven't, I didn't really notice a lot of the stuff, especially in the beginning, how, uh, Royalton, whoever that actor is, the guy who plays Royalton, the speed racer, his little, uh, yeah, news, Roger, Roger Allen, I believe Roger Allen. His little news show, and they're talking about America. And 20 years ago, America was the greatest country on the planet. And now, uh, because of what? Godlessness. Um, yeah, godlessness. <laughs> let me, like, let me we, say that again. Godlessness. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what is it, like leprosy or something? Some terrible disease. Yeah, colony the, of lepers. the world's, world's largest yeah. le- leper, leper colony. colony. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Ars, so Amer- Ars America. <laughs> which, yeah, I just, I feel like it just made me notice a lot of things that are more relevant today than ever than when I've watched it. It's just a very interesting film. Um, and going through that and also just saying that, you know, uh, people should not fear their governments. Governments should feel their fear their people. Um, it's just, I don't know. It has an amazing message. And then you get into the nitty gritty of the film and V and Evie's relationship and all that. I mean, it's just, it's beautiful. Also, it has one of those climactic moments in it just like they always do with you know the matrix with speed racer that is just i don't know you just cry a little and it makes you feel <laughs> invincible for a second in life because you're in this moment with uh evie i guess we'll bring up that scene later but um yeah i just i love this film it's really great yeah i uh i remember this this came out in my senior year of high school and um i knew that the wachowskis were attached to it in 2006 and uh, <laughs> it is 2006 i researched oh, a little shoot. more all right <laughs> 17 um, march 2006 but i i remember going to this movie and i was thinking that hey this is from the guys that made the matrix this is going to be sweet and i walked out of the theater and I felt enlightened. This is one of the most thought-provoking films ever, in my opinion. And it's mm-hmm. and that's I mean, that's not fair because it's one of my favorite movies. So I've thought about this movie way more than a lot of people, a lot of other people would. Um, but I mean, the 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 pieces that they have on the table to deal with. I mean, you're you're talking about terrorism, you're talking about um political structures, you're talking about um, you know, different main characters and subplots going on, and you just there's so many things at play in this movie that you can you can delve into so many different ideas and ways that it references modern society. And I think that, you know, we can see parallels from this movie to what's going on in the world at the present moment. Moment, you can make an analogy to whatever you want, and you could have done that in 2006. You can do that in 30 years. This movie is always going to be relevant and topical, in my opinion, because we live in a modern world where you know a totalitarian or fascist regime like you know like the Nazi Party coming up in Germany in 1937 to 1939, um, something like that is in england in 2000 i don't know let's just say what is it 2020 something it's probably something like 2030 like i think it takes place in kind of future 
Yeah, it never exactly says where or when it is. But, but it references um, something about 2000, like 17 or 18 so at one point. It I says saw, something like that. I, I saw that um, St. Mary's happened in 2016. So it'd be like... Oh, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. To but 20, then, 2025 or something. Yeah. But Detective Finch says that he's been a party member for something like... What does he say? Twenty eight. Twenty seven years. Yeah, and so, and so, who knows? It could be two thousand forty at this point. Um, yeah. But they're also locked in this kind of nineties feel of technology, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I love the plot of this movie. I love the themes that it deals with. Um, and I think it's just. I mean, we try not to swear on this podcast, but this is one of the most badass movies that has ever been made. And it's just, it's so freaking cool. I absolutely love this movie. So. Um, with that being said, I, yeah, there's, there's few movies that have had that much of an emotional impact, emotional impact on me and also made me think about, um, my life in a different way. It's, it goes much further than the movie. It, it has an impact on your own, like political leanings and your own ideas about the world in which we live in. Um, so, but V for Vendetta was not directed by the Wachowskis, which, uh, did you guys know that before this week? Nope. No, not before this week. Yeah, I was, I did not realize that until, I mean, it was a couple, I don't know, four or five years ago. I think I watched this movie and I kind of did a little, little research on it. I was like, oh, wow, Wachowski brother didn't actually, or Wachowski sibling, excuse me, didn't actually uh, direct this movie. It was by a guy named James McTeague, and he was the assistant director on most of the Wachowski films, such as The Matrix or uh, Speed Racer. And he also did a couple episodes of uh, Sense8 and all that stuff. And they gave this mm-hmm. movie to him as his birthday they present so there you go huh. um yeah, oh, wow. very fun yeah um, but yeah he and he kills it he's awesome as a director he hasn't really done much since um much of note really but uh he does a great job i think he did do you guys remember ninja warrior or what, what was it called ninja assassin no. yeah yeah was that it yeah ninja assassin i didn't yeah. even see it i don't think I maybe i did it. It was pretty, it, it was cool. It wasn't like amazing or anything, but, uh, either way. So James McTeague is director and he does a fantastic job. Uh, writers, Wachowski brothers, obviously fantastic. Uh, the reason why we, why we picked this film was because it was a graphic novel, uh, put out in the world by DC. And we thought that it was particularly relevant since it's November, but, um, that's how we got away with it, but it was written and, um, illustrations done by alan moore and david lloyd and i believe that alan moore uh wrote it and david lloyd did much of the illustrations so um yeah all the parties involved just did do a killer job and i think that they don't necessarily love the film because it cut out so many of this uh various subplots yeah but um that it also it held true to the content and the idea behind the film so it actually and it oh you go ahead sorry Okay. Um, I, th- I think they did kind of change a lot. Uh, just looking at the IMDB, uh, yesterday and today, just, um, a couple of things like, I think the police chief, um, he's portrayed as a much more sympathetic character, but in the comics, I think he's like an abusive alcoholic. He's just not a very nice person. And then I think, uh, Dietrich, was um more into evie and she's supposed to be younger i think she's supposed to be like a 16 year old prostitute 
Yeah, she oh, she whoa. she was like in the in the graphic novel, she was kind of like an annoying little girl. There wasn't the relationship between her and V. Um like all that was kind of also it was I think it was based in the uh in the behind the scenes. I think they said it was supposed to be based in like the 70s and then brought to like the 80s. In or, the, or, it was written in like 1980 and so yeah. they were operating within like the 80s world but placed in the 90s. I think yeah, so or like late they 70s. Up, they ended up making it. They ended up pushing it forward a bit <laughs> and having it from the nineties and then into the future just because it was much denser. Apparently mm-hmm. it was a much denser time. There was more material to work with. Um, I found that interesting as well. I nice. saw so that, you guys uh, looked way more into the graphic novel than I did. So well, that's great. I mean, just like trivia stuff, but I saw that, um, Creedy was supposed to have a predecessor and that this guy was supposed to be like even worse than Creedy, which I think would have been cool. That would have been, like you cut off the one head of the snake and just another one comes up. That's even worse. I think that would have been a cool aspect to include, but yeah, two hours yeah. and six minutes. They're already getting to a little far over time. I mean, over time. I mean, yeah. How do you, how do you condense a big, big graphic novel such as that into a two hour movie and make it awesome? You kind of have to rewrite it and Hey, I never read the graphic novel. So this is the only representation that I know. And it's right. freaking sick. So yeah, that's where I'm at too. It's just, yeah. I mean, what can you do? Um, so what do you, where do you want to go from here, guys? Uh, what happens at the beginning of this movie? I like, I like how the beginning of this movie, it sets you right into the plot. You know what I mean? Like you have that little intro where it talks about the gunpowder treason and plot and all that stuff. And then it shows, uh, Evie or no, it shows, uh, Prothero talking about, you know, um, England prevails. Uh, I'm a God fearing Englishman and I'm God dang proud of it. Um, all that, all that stuff. And so you kind of get a feel for the world and then she goes out immediately gets abducted by three guys that are using their power and exploiting their power or abusing their power. Excuse me. Got a case of and the blues. Then, you can feel them. <laughs> oh, those guys are so the worst, they're man. They're so grimy, or not grimy, just like gross. Like they're so. They that's are. such a gross thing to abuse your power like that. And it's like you're supposed to be the protectors, and it's just so corrupt. Like they do a good job of showing you how corrupt things, the current climate is. In this, it like, seems like all of the fingermen are like that. It's like, who are you employing to do this? Is it just the scum of society that's willing right. and able to do this? Because everybody, I don't know, but I mean, it seems like everybody's complied with this with with the one party. You know, it's it's just interesting. I mean, and how do they even qualify? Do they have to have like really nice fingers? Do they have to like go through some sort of <laughs> finger? test that's <laughs> dirty guys, nails to me that's what it looked like <laughs> do you guys know why they're called the fingermen this is something that i looked up um is that the uh that the government in 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 this version of england is supposed to represent a body and so uh oh. chancellor sutler would be the head and then um i think it's prothero and whoever the other guy is that does the media um he's the he's the mouth or the voice, voice. and then those guys are the fingers they're the you know that ones that you know the bureaucrats in a, in a sense the ones that execute the uh the uh, plans and everything like that. So there you go. But, Interesting. Yeah. But uh, any, anywho, um, 
Yeah, I love I that part is so weird and so creepy, but then it's just immediately you get into V and he introduces himself and then it goes through the whole blowing up of uh what what does he blow up in the the old Bailey. Old Bailey, yep. <laughs> Give the old girl yeah. a send off. Yeah. So that was yeah. But what do what do we what do we think about just the character the character V in general? Should we just get into a discussion about oh, uh, boy. the main character here? We can. <laughs> I yeah, love him. Sounds good to me. He's great. I mean, he's everything you wish you could be in that time, and that you would hope to be like a symbol and an idea for justice. You know, to be brave enough. To be that way. Yeah, absolutely. When he's just, he's a man in a mask, you know, the pair, what does he say? The paradox of asking a man in a mask who he is or something like that. He's a guy in a mask that introduces himself in the most well articulated and most thoughtful vocabulary ever. I mean, that speech is incredible. I love that whole V thing that he does. Yeah. And then throughout, throughout the rest of the movie, he just has, just the most well-reasoned and well-thought-out sentences. I mean, I was talking about, I was trying to get my favorite line down for this movie, and you could literally, any single thing that V says in this movie, you could back it up, and I would be like, yeah, that makes sense. I understand why that's your favorite line. Seriously, pick any line from this entire movie. I know, any line. Yeah, it's because he's just, he's so good. He's so amazing. One of my favorite favorite things about, uh, or, or that V says, um, is when he's talking to Evie and she tries to take off his mask or something like that. And he kind of goes through that, that whole speech of like behind this mask, you're just going to find like burnt flesh and you know, like a mangled body. It's not me like this mask, mm-hmm. you know, the flesh under this mask has nothing to do with me. So it doesn't matter, you know? And mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that idea. I thought that was great. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good part. Absolutely. So uh, after that point, though, um, V blows up the old Bailey and then you get into this whole uh, sequence in which he gets into Jordan Tower or whatever communications or media building, um, which is there's only one network, only one British television network that is being displayed. uh, And he goes and takes over that whole tower and commits a terrorist act and broadcasts to all of London. And it is like the coolest speech ever. That is like I Mm -hmm. that entire speech. um, I mean, I can't think of anything that would be more poignant in a world like that. So I I love that entire speech. But what do you guys think about just that whole sequence is that whole sequence? What are your favorite parts about it? What do you particularly enjoy? Danny, you go ahead. Okay, um, it's just it's it's very interesting. Like you said, it's just one network. I love how at the end of that speech, he just basically states, meet me one year from now. And it's just, it's so bold. Like meet me one year from now. Um, and we're going to overthrow this system. Like that is, it's just like the most bold message you could ever imagine. Um, also I love how when they break in the room, he has masks on everybody. Um, and they immediately just like shoot this poor guy. (laughs) And yeah, I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's very interesting but it's a it's a cool scene. I just think I love how you know they do only have one network and so all of a sudden on on every single TV, every single screen um in this world he is just broadcasting. 
he just takes over. And I, yeah, that's sick. Well, and that's such a brilliant way to, uh, for, for him to, to directly communicate to everybody. And that guy even says it when he's talking to Chancellor Sutler, he's like, you told me that you wanted every television in London, you know, and, or in England, I can't remember if he says London or England, but Mm -hmm. either way, um, I mean, how bold does he, do you have to be to break in there and force these guys to broadcast this message to every TV, but it's the government's, uh, the way in which they control media and they force their point of view and they control the information that people receive ends up being, um, the total Achilles heel in which he can, Mm -hmm. he can take that, that thing that they've done and turn it against them. You know what I mean? It's just Mm -hmm. such a, it's such an awesome plot point in the movie. I absolutely love that. Um, but I don't want to steal your thunder here, Zach. I just want to go on a second longer, but just like you said, how bold and how audacious is he to just walk into that room, opens up his coat and he's just laced with freaking explosives. And that's like the best. I mean, that is just so crazy. And then to talk to everybody in London and pretty much say, there's something wrong with this country. We all know it. I'm just the one saying it. Meet me up, meet up with me in one year. And we'll tell them, we'll give them a 5th of November that they'll never forget. I mean, it's just, it's so, so crazy. So awesome. Yeah. Uh, What I really like about that speech is when he's delivering the speech, the music in the background is very like uplifting. And then when he gets to the aspect of the speech, when it turns negative, the music sort of does that. It turns, you can hear it in the music. When he goes, uh, there's something very wrong with this country, isn't yeah. there? And the music like goes, just it, it goes, like uh, a, it goes minor for a second. Yeah, or minor. I don't know music that well, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I really enjoyed that aspect of it. Um, I really thought the whole sequence was really cool. I loved the cement gun. Like that's a really oh cool yeah, te- yeah. Piece when of it technology. Like, fills the door, and I yeah. love the way they shot that. Like they did like an interior of the elevator, whatever he did that into, like, that's just not a shot that you would normally see or that we get to see. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, I also, when we were watching it last night, um, I wondered to myself, do you think that he ever intended to actually blow up the TV station or just was using that as like a threat to send his message out? Because from the way I perceived it, I don't think like he ever would have blown it up. Oh, and that's another thing, too, that I saw was that in the comics, he's a lot less concerned about uh, the public's safety. Like he's not as willing to protect them like he'll he'll kill them, too. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. He's, he's more concerned about anarchy in the comics. Yeah, I think. Well, and this Sorry is a point that I wanted to this off. is a point that I wanted to bring up later, but just specifically for that instance, I, I really don't know. I don't know because um whatever gosh, I should have written that guy's name down, the uh the broadcaster, the one that controls the media. Um, but he he diffuses the bomb. But the question right. is, was that bomb ever gonna go off to begin with? I don't with? think it was. Just I don't think force. it was either. 
Yeah. Well, there probably was, re- it probably was a real bomb, but it was just the, the setup wasn't real. Like the, the time, the, the rig that he made to ignite, it wasn't actually, uh, ever going to go off. So, I mean, that's an interesting point though, because if he actually did, he would have killed literally dozens, if not hundreds of innocent civilians. Um, and I want to bring but this that up later. So that I'm immediately gonna... kind of disproves his whole idea. Like if right. he kills a bunch of people, then everybody's not going to trust him. Then he's immediately just a psychopath terrorist. And yeah. I'm not going to go stand with that guy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He walks the fine line between uh, like a terrorist in the negative aspect and whatever the positive aspect of a terrorist would be. <laughs> uh, you know, it's weird, it's weird to <laughs> yeah. say that, but he is it a is. terrorist. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Okay. Well, so, okay. So I was going to wait a little while to ask this question, but I think that maybe we should just have this discussion now rather than wait. Um, and if you're listening to this and you haven't seen V for Vendetta, just go watch it. What do you, come on. Where you been, this is, God. this is fantastic movie. It's gotta be, you gotta watch this. You um, got so it. This, this is the one. <laughs> this is full spoilers this from full spoilers from this point on. If we reference Spoiled something potatoes. later on in the movie, then you have been warned. Um, but for V, um, throughout the entire movie, uh, he does kill a lot of people and he does some things that would be considered wrong. And in your guys' opinion, Danny, why don't you take the lead on this one and answering this question? Okay, do, the en- <laughs> do the ends justify the means? from what he does, you know, it's like they have this whole plot in which the government killed however many, I mean, it's like 80 to a hundred thousand people. And so you have this very, very corrupt government and this very, um, messed up situation in which he's trying to overthrow, but he also has this completely, this complete, uh, vendetta or a vengeful attitude towards many of those people in which he has to kill a lot of people as well. So there's, there's a positive skew to what he wants to be done, but he does some bad things to do it so do the ends justify the means you don't have to necessarily answer it completely but just what do you think on that i think it's not unlike other things that have been done even in our history um and so i obviously he has a um he want he seeks revenge against these people that hurt him so badly um and you know that was you know as he says to evie you know this is the most important moment of your life live in it um that was his most important moment of his life. So he, yeah, obviously he's seeking revenge, but the people that he's seeking revenge against are (laughs) terrible, terrible people. You have a priest that's like, you know, fooling around with, you know, what have you. Um, yeah, pedophile. And, you know, so I have no qualms with it. I think it's completely justified just because it's like, uh, uh, it's, these people are basically all being held hostage. Um, you know, this entire nation and they're all being fooled and, um, you know, propaganda and media is just brainwashing them. So, um, overthrowing that is probably, uh, priority number one, but he also, yeah, he seeks revenge and he kills along the way. I love when Evie asks, she's like, uh, cause she sees him come back, knows that he killed the television guy. Um, Royalton, I still can't even remember his character's name, but, uh, uh, Prothero. Yeah. Prothero knows that he killed him. And then she's like, well, are you going to keep killing? And he just goes, yes. <laughs> you know, and that was, I love that. It's defining, you know, he's just like, absolutely. I'm going to keep killing. Nobody's going to stop yeah. me. I'm not going to just, you know, 
I'm not. There's no internal him. struggle. There's no debate yeah. within him. Yes, I am. Yes, I yeah. will. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to do this. So I think it's, yeah, entirely justified, uh, especially by the end of the movie. Also, the fact that he, you know, spoiler alert, gives his life for this idea. Um, mm-hmm. That I think that's when it's fully justified. That's the moment that it's like, if you would have kept living and then just, I don't know, lived his life and then like kept killing after that too. <laughs> like finding he's finding just like the mailman that came there. He's like literally <laughs> just seeking out everybody. <laughs> um, <laughs> some guy walking his dog by there one day. He's like, yeah, that guy had something to do with it too. I'm going to get him. Um, he looked at me weird on the subway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you know, by the end of it, he gives his life for it. He gives his life for that idea. So yeah, it's great. Zach, what do you think? Um, I'm, I'm glad you used the phrase ends justify the means because, uh, he says that exact same thing about Creedy. He says, this is a man seemingly without conscience who the ends almost always justify the means or something to that effect. Yeah. Um, so I think that he actually can be, uh, kind of viewed in a similar manner as Creedy, but because he seems to be fighting for, the good side, we perceive him as a good guy. Um, but Evie says, um, to him, uh, well, he says they created, or I am what, what I was am done to me was they, monstrous. And she says they, then they created a monster. Um, and I think that just goes along with his transformation from the beginning of the film to the end of the film. Because like I said before, I thought this was a great film about, um, ideas versus humanity and i think at the beginning of the film he's an idea but like i said he towards the end he grasps that humanity and that he finds love and you know it's uh it's just that classic tale you know count of monte cristo like getting revenge for everyone on everyone who wronged you i love that reference too i love it so much yeah I was actually, this is total sidebar. Sorry to interrupt, but, um, if had she come out and he's like watching the kind of Monte Cristo, my favorite movie, have you ever seen it? And she's like, no. And they watch it together. What if it was just such a terrible, like stupid movie that he was watching, you know, like he's watching like blade or Garfield. I'm trying to think like an older movie. Brendan Fraser's Garfield. Wasn't Brendan (laughs) Fraser in one of the Garfields? He's like, I'm watching Bedazzled. It's my favorite movie. You want to watch it? (laughs) Hey, and like Flint, that's my favorite movie. And like that's my favorite movie, baby. But keep going. I don't know if you were, if you were. Uh, Well, I mean, just like uh, how revenge can blind you from actually moving on, and it's like that's you know that's just a classic thing. Like, do you really feel um, happy or complete once you've completed? your revenge like are you satisfied and i think ultimately the answer would be no because you're still holding on to that but if you let go of it you find that you're free and that the pain finally subsides once you let go of that hate and anger mm-hmm. and i think mm-hmm. and i think he does so that's my thought and i don't want to get too far into it because that it's going to relate to some other things that we're going to talk about later in the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll, I'll yeah, we reference don't to... it later. Um, just, just a, a quick, a quick point for me to make just, um, 
just to talk about that a little bit. Um, but do the ends justify the means? I mean, it kind of comes down to a fundamental question as to how you view V. Um, if you take out the element of him wanting to commit or wanting to take revenge upon all the people that have wronged him, um, and simply trying to upset the established order or the corrupt established order right now. And do you view V as a terrorist or do you view V as a freedom fighter? Because one, man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter and history is often written by the victors so where do you place him because often you have to do terrible things to invoke change um crack a few eggs and i'm not yeah you gotta crack a few (laughs) eggs to make an omelet to quote tony stark Uh, (laughs) but um and i'm not advocating any of this but uh i just looking historically um you could pretty much point the finger at either party on both sides of many conflicts and so this this is an interesting case and do you agree with v or not and well you could argue both points but um yeah i think it's i think it's terribly interesting the dilemma that he that he imposes but um yeah amazing character so um but let's move on from there um yeah jordan tower does the amazing speech and after that point uh he takes uh evie back to his place the what is it the gale of shadows or something like that gallery the gallery of shadows um oh There, was that a ghost? There. David, are you okay? <laughs> you okay, Dave? <laughs> David, David. <laughs> and we still post the podcast, even though an emergency happens. <laughs> Gotta get so people listen. <laughs> the next 45 minutes is a conversation about you guys watching me like get abducted or something by a ghost. <laughs> I'm like so getting Zach, held up against the think? wall. <laughs> so what do you think about that guy coming in with the bat? Because he kind of looked... <laughs> It looked a little creepy, a little spooky. <laughs> I don't um, think Dave is okay. But I think this I think this might be a I think this might be a good moment for us to all just break down our favorite character, uh, favorite scene and favorite line. And then we can kind of, uh, say what we, what we wanted to after, after we've cleared those out. So, um, I don't think we had an order. Does anybody want to well, yeah, if we're breaking into favorite characters and favorite lines and uh, favorite scenes, I'll start with my favorite character, um, which we actually pretty much broke him down entirely. This is the type of movie that it's so good and it has such clear and I'll demonstrate it with my favorite scene as well. It has such clear. uh <laughs> This isn't one of those movies that I could just be like, you know what? I'm going to pick an obscure character and have him be my favorite character. I just couldn't do it. Like V is just my favorite character in this movie. I think he's incredible. Um, also Hugo weaving. It's one of those things that I just feel like, uh, I got to give it up for my main man dancing Rick. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> it's, it's one of those things. It's like, <laughs> but it really is Hugo. Wait, weaving. Is that freaking Starsky and Hutch? Yeah, that's Starsky and Hutch. Nice. Wow. Dude. I did not get that. These Good. two are about to light it up. <laughs> that guy. Um, <laughs> David Stansky. Starsky. Right back at you. Right back at you. <laughs> um, I love that. But anyways, Hugo Weaving, he's the type of actor that just does not get the, I feel like, the credit that he deserves. Mr. Uh, or uh, Agent Smith in The Matrix is such a defining character yeah. uh, that just doesn't get talked about. It's so well done. Uh, and everything that he does in the Wachowskis work 
Um, even Cloud Atlas, he plays like the weird green monster guy. Uh, I don't even know <laughs> what that guy's name is, but he does. He's just such a great actor. Um, I love him. And uh, he actually, when they first started making this, I should have gotten the other actor's name, but they started with somebody else. Did you read into that? Uh, yeah, that he came in like two weeks into principal photography or something like something that. Something like that. And they actually yeah. used some of the footage from the other guy and they just dubbed it over with Hugo Weaving's voice. Okay. I, I would be here, interested so. to know which scenes it was. So certain scenes within the film feature James Purefoy as V, who was originally cast in the role, but replaced by Hugo Weaving's Hugo Weaving four weeks into filming. He couldn't wait, wear a mask. That's what James he said. James Purefoy? Yeah, Purefoy. Hold on. Is that the guy? Was he the, like, did he play Mark Antony in Rome? Am I thinking of the wrong character? No, you're you right. Him? Yes! Good job, dude. Such an obscure actor. He was Cole, in Dawson's Creek, too, wasn't Coleville he? Colville from A Knight's Tale. <laughs> oh, oh I, I know. Yeah, then I do know who he yeah, is, he actually. Was, he was, he was the uh, nice Prince, king. Prince Edward the Black. Or Prince. Nice. Okay. Um, I'm glad they yeah. did Hugo Weaving. Holy cow. Definitely. Well, he no said kidding. the the James uh, McAvoy guy or James Vanderbeek. Perfoy. What's his name? James Franco. That was the Dawson's Creek that reference. Dawson's I get Creek it now. Um, yeah, he apparently he said he couldn't wear the mask. He didn't want to go a whole film wearing that mask. Like it was just too tough on him or something like that. Then Hugo Weaving's just like, okay, well, <laughs> I I can. Um, but yeah, but you know, anyway, my favorite character is V and we kind of already broke him down. He just, like you said before, David, every single line that he says in this movie could be your favorite line. Everything yeah, he says is so well written, uh, and his delivery is so, you know, maybe it's because you can't see his face. It's hard. You know, when you have a mask over somebody, the performance that he gives is just incredible. And like, maybe if you saw his facial movements, uh, it might take away a little bit from that. I have no idea. But uh, yeah, the performance that he delivers in this is just yeah, outrageous. Um, I think that and, I think that Hugo Weaving is sorry to interrupt. Were you? No, no, I was thinking about uh, James Vanderbeek still. <laughs> <laughs> I think that Hugo Weaving is like one of the most underrated actors. I mean, not underrated in the sense that because he's played. I mean, he's freaking got Agent Smith, Elrond and V. I mean, it doesn't Those really are, get much yeah, better than that. That's than pretty that. sweet roles. But I really think that he should be in higher caliber roles. I was so happy to see him in Hacksaw Ridge. And he's, he's just a fantastic oh, yeah. actor. And um, a lot of it comes down to his vocal talents. He you know, he does such a good job of enunciating and articulating what he says. And he, he creates a voice that is very much like, you know, like Liam Neeson, where you, you call on him for that freaking voice that just, that just booms through the movie and, and, and like grabs you, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It feels like another, it feels like another entity entirely. Um, but I, uh, yeah, he's, he's so good. And, uh, I wish that he was in more, but I mean, he knocks it out of the park in this movie, especially, uh, as we'll get into later when he's knocking out different personas and different accents and stuff like that. And, uh, uh-huh. you know, the first time you see it, you don't even realize it's him. So, um, yeah, just to, just to add on to that, I wanted to say that. So boom, Zach, why don't you move forward with your favorite character here? Unless you were, um, you had anything more to say, Danny? No, no. Well, I think, uh, just really quickly to add to Danny, uh, I think, V is such a good character because Hugo Weaving is such a talented voice actor and actor in general. I think just sort of those old school guys are that are trained 
I would assume that he's trained in like Shakespearean delivery and iambic pentameter and pentameter and stuff like that. But just just Hugo Weaving's talent, I think, brings so much to that character. And definitely, I'm I'm glad that he he came in as opposed to this other guy who just thought it was a crime to not have his beautiful face around the film. Yeah, and that's a joke because yeah. he's not that good looking. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, um, I you know I did want to have. Like V is my favorite character, but I knew one of us would do that. And I, I did kind of try and seek out someone who wasn't necessarily in the spotlight. And it was a toss up mm-hmm. between uh, the guy that runs the BTN that's on the council, the younger guy. Um, it was either between him or Desmond, the, the assistant to the chief. Assistant oh, yeah. to the regional manager. Um, Assistant to the regional <laughs> you manager. Keep this made up position. Uh, <laughs> but it, in the end, it ended up being Desmond, just because I saw him as this like young cop who's looking to make a name for himself, and he's sort of low enough on the totem pole that he hasn't been uh, infiltrated and made to be just sort of a negative bad guy. He still has that sparkle in his eye so i like desmond i like that line um when they're talking about the three different guys um in reference to rockwood and he's talking about the one guy talking about how he performed uh fellatio on his beretta oh yeah that was a funny line clever line so yeah i like that actor he's i think he was in a He's in Sherlock, I think. Death at a funeral, I believe. Yeah. I, I just like him. Sherlock he's just as well. a suave. I think he's suave. I liked him. So, yeah, I liked him just because he's like that up and coming cop role that, you know, not been exposed to the negative aspects of the force. Yeah. And he wants to prove something. Well, and I feel like he also serves as kind of a more I'm trying to way I want to word that. I mean, more of a, a human character in which uh, Detective Finch can bounce his ideas off of. It's it's as if he's he's learning about all of this stuff as we do. You know, yeah. there's a lot of characters that are presenting information and they themselves are are. Uh, the main characters, but I feel like he is as much a viewer of what's happening as we are. And so yeah. that's a, that's a good pick. I, li- I like that guy a lot. And I always love that for some reason, that line at the end when he inspector, it's all gone wrong. Hasn't it? The way he says that, like that, that, that one always got me. I like that. There's, but, there's uh, another line where I can't remember exactly what it is, but um, he's talking to the inspector. And he's like, yeah, it's not good. <laughs> or something like I can't do the uh, accent as well as him, but it's not good. <laughs> not good. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that guy, yeah, it's not, it's not good. Not good at all. <laughs> hey, it's not good. Yeah. Hey, it's not, it's not good for you. Eh? What do you think? Eh? Not good. What do you think? A bunch of young punks, huh? You talking <laughs> to me? I, Guido? I stepped on his chest and I heard something break. <laughs> <laughs> heard something break. Chris Fannin, if you ever listen to this podcast, <laughs> shout out to you. Chris Fannin. And his monologue. <laughs> Good guy. Um, Good guy. 
Cool. Did you guys have anything more to say about about that one, or Desmond? You no, care if I, I move on? I'm, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Fine. Good. Yeah. Good pick. I like that. Great pick. Yeah. Um, so for my favorite, uh, I think that I, I do agree with Danny V V is the best character in this movie and we would all agree. Right. So, um, but, uh, since I've seen it so many times, I was kind of looking at the, uh, uh, the other, the B, the B characters, um, pretty much anybody beside V. And, uh, I came up with, uh, Louis Prothero, the, uh, the voice of London, you know, the guy that says a lot of stuff about America at the beginning. And, um, the reason why I found him so interesting is because a, I love that actor and i love the way I that do he, too. i love I do the way too. that he talks the way that he conveys an idea is just beautiful the monologue at the beginning is awesome um but he kind of embodies this idea in which the the government just manufactures um manufactures the opinion of the public it's he's telling them how to think he's the embodiment of what public opinion should be and he's completely told what to say by the chancellor and uh i love that scene when he's right before he gets off um when he's in the shower and he's talking about how the uh the the I don't know the lighting, whoever's doing the lighting for his show. He doesn't know how to light me. My nose looks like big effing Ben, you know, like that just, he's so narcissistic and so into himself. He is just completely self-absorbed. Um, Three yeah, TVs I just, I, around the shower that just all have him talking. I love I know, that. Yeah, he's just watching himself in the shower, just recounting himself. And uh, I just, I just thought that that was a brilliant character and he's only, he's very short lived. He's not in the, he's not in the film for a long time, but I think that he really, I think that he really sets the tone for the movie and the understanding of the society in which we are watching. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like you really, I, you really get a better idea of the, the world that we're viewing because of him. Um, and so I, I loved him. I loved Louis Prothero. I thought that, what? and he just cracked me up a couple of times, you know, I'm yeah. a God fearing Englishman and I'm God dang proud of it. I mean, yeah, he, it's kind of like a, uh, and I, and I'll make a, I'll make a, um, analogy to both sides of the spectrum. He, he's kind of like a Rush Limbaugh or on the other side, like a Bill Maher, you know, he's yeah. just so, yeah, definitely so to one side and so opinionated about something that, I mean, it really grabs your attention. I could see if you lived in this dystopian futuristic society, when you heard him talk, you'd be like, well, yeah, I mean, that did kind of rally. I mean, that kind of riled me up there. Um, and it's something that we can, we can view on either side of the spectrum in our, in our society today. Um, but he was, he's a great representation of that. So I, lo- uh, I love him. What, what was the line that he says? He's like, Britain, Britain is what I say it is. Or what was the line? He's talking on the phone on the phone. Yeah. Yeah. Britain does what I say it's does. Yeah. I don't remember the line, but yeah, he basically lays it lays out what he does in that one line. And I think you're right. He's like so narcissistic, but it's interesting because he's such a pawn. Like he's just doing what, uh, Sutler's telling him to do. You know, he's just, He's the voice, but he's so easily controlled by higher ups. Like he just thinks himself in such a higher uh, position than he really is. Like he's so low on that totem pole Mm -hmm. of power. Like he really doesn't have all that much power. He has the illusion of power. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and he also was, uh, you know, it's like he was one of the richest men before the the reclamation or whatever. And he's like, oh, drugs, legal ones, legal pharmaceuticals. Ones. And so <laughs> this this guy was just like a very good soldier, gets put in charge of this whole project at Lark Hill and then uh, becomes one of the richest men and takes part in this whole plot and then becomes the voice of London. He's an interesting, interesting character. So I yeah. mean, I'll, I'll save it for when whenever we do Speed Racer, but... Man, I could talk about his performance on Royalton for so long. <laughs> yeah, he's gosh, so, he, he knocks it out of the park, man. I'm looking at his filmography his right face now. That you just immediately, something about his face that you just don't like immediately. You know <laughs> his what I mean? nose. Yeah, he's a great. Yeah, he, he looks like Big Ben. <laughs> so, I mean, try to picture that guy as like a big, big Ben. Try to picture that guy guy as a as a good guy in a movie as a character that you're supposed to like. You know, (laughs) there's nothing aesthetically pleasing about him. (laughs) I know, man. Like it's so funny when people get cast like that in like opposite roles, like in Wonder Woman. uh, How? (laughs) (laughs) How Lupin is the bad guy? Do you remember (laughs) that? I was thinking you were going to bring up Danny Houston in Wonder Woman. I was like, well, that's true. I don't like that guy, and I never will. He's He could never be a good guy in a movie to me. But, it's not um, a good movie. <laughs> okay, well, that's that's good. We we broke that down enough. Um, that's uh, Actually, can I, can I just start off favorite scene? Because yeah, yeah. Sure. Can we just all say that uh, God is in the rain is our favorite scene? No. No? <laughs> Mine's really like the scene right before it. <laughs> oh, yours isn't Danny either. Well, no, my, mine is. Yeah. Mine is, uh, God is in the reborn, rain. that whole yeah. scene. Okay. You, you go ahead. I was just, I just wanted to be, I, would I say was curious. If my favorite scene it. of the movie is like that entire scene, like the entire thing from like when she gets out of the cell and they have that whole dialogue to going up and standing outside on the, whatever, on the back patio. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> And and the rain and stuff like that whole that whole scene that whole section is probably mine. The scene right before they get outside was the scene that yeah I was gonna say was my favorite. Yeah, and not necessarily excluding the God is in the rain part, but just the intensity of that moment, like the realization that everything she had gone through was fabricated by V. Like that would be so heavy. And I remember thinking in the theater like. Holy crap, dude, that's like, that's pretty gnarly that he did that to her and that she survived through it. But you kind of, you sort of start to think things are a little funky when you see a silhouette of Hugo weaving and you know that he's the voice of V. You're like, wait a second. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you kind of know it's him. Well, you know, first time watching it, uh, gosh, you just don't even notice. And even like second time watching, I know that, uh, I think Leanna the other night, uh, my girlfriend, I don't think she noticed it's, it's pretty, it's pretty, they do a good there. job. They do such a great job of covering it up. I just knew from, uh, I think I found out the last time I watched it, I think definitely like the first two times, maybe I didn't even notice, but that's probably because mm-hmm. I wasn't nearly as big a fan of Hugo weaving at that time. Probably. I think mm-hmm. because of Lord of the Rings, I was like. I knew his voice so well because I'd seen Lord of the Rings so many times that and the Matrix um, that when he is like he has that bag in his hand, he's like, why do you care about these people when they don't, you know, 
care about give you, a crap about you, give a crap about you. And at that moment, I was like, wow, that really sounds like Hugo Weaving. And I knew that he was the voice of um, V. So in my head, I think it was that when that character came in, um, that guardsman came in. That's when I thought things were a little off. But the first time and Dave and I talked about this last night when we watched it, uh, we think that they just used the actor Creedy. I think so, too. The first guy. It's it's clearly him. And it's even like dimly lit. So you can almost kind of see his face. Too. Right. Yeah, it looks so, like him. It's just using using uh Owen Wilson's voice. <laughs> not right now. <laughs> Owen Wilson is, is being <laughs> Wow. 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 Well I just think that <laughs> Um So <laughs> Do you and so Danny, you're talking about God is in the rain. Zach, you're talking about just that moment of realization for her when she yeah. finds out that it was all V pretty much. I actually, I was, I think that that entire section would be my that favorite in, scene. The whole bit. Yeah. Even bringing together, in Valerie yeah. in the, uh, the, the story no, no. about okay, no, okay. Cut her out. <laughs> you can cut her right cut out. Cut her no, on that, but, <laughs> no, but I actually do. I really do enjoy that though. I, it's, it's heartbreaking. That whole thing. It's so well done. Such a nice think about doing something like that. It's, it's such a crazy idea. Just implanting this in her head, going through exactly what he went through and then having the same, you know, reborn moment. It's insane. Yeah. I just, yeah. I can't believe it. But yeah, the whole scene, when she breaks out and she realizes it and he, I forget the speech, but he says something about hate. He goes on this like hate speech. That's um, it. Yeah. Taught yeah. me how to eat. Taught me how to breathe. I thought I would die from all the hate in my veins yeah. or whatever he says. Exactly. Or whatever. <laughs> or whatever. Precisely. <laughs> um, this is such a good impersonation. And then, or, uh, or, or whatever it was. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah. And then, and then he goes on to say the, uh, this is, you know, the most important moment of your life. Live in it. You know, be here. They took away your brother. They took away your parents. Like this is, the biggest moment of your life. And I've done yeah. that to Danny. Sorry to interrupt. I've done that to Danny at the gym before he was, he was on bench. <laughs> I remember <laughs> like, this biggest moment of your life. Danny push, push, push <laughs> live in it. Live in it. I'm trying to put yeah. up like 35 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> um, so with that scene, so the the god is in the rain scene i think that was an important um turning point for v too because he saw her the way he sees in himself like he could have just been saying it and then in that moment when she raises her hands i think that was the moment that he really did see himself in her and i think that was a turning point for him and that that was when he realized he's he can be more than just an idea that he's a person too because mm-hmm. I think the contrast of rain and fire, obviously, um, you know, that showed him the humanity side of it and what he was missing out b- by focusing solely on revenge and justice and the idea that he was trying to preserve. Uh, so I think th- I do really, like I said, I really like that part of the scene, but I just the acting in the scene leading up to it when she realizes is the reason I think that that particular part is my favorite part. 
mm-hmm. yeah. my favorite scene. Danny, do you have anything else to add before I go on my rant? Uh, <laughs> no. You go ahead. <laughs> Let me well, buckle my seatbelt with- here. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I've, I've been thinking about this scene for a long time. Um, <laughs> yeah, the the evolution of uh, his character, just to piggyback on what Zach said real quick, um, but the evolution of his character, I think that's a really good point that you bring up in seeing that cathartic moment in another character. That must have been like an enlightening moment for him to see, wow, that exact same thing that I went through just happened for her. And I can remember, you know, the, that particular moment in my life where that happened with me and that particular moment being this moment in which she says no i'd rather go die behind the chemical sheds that moment where you decide that there is something that this idea is bigger than you you are willing to lay down your life for that and that's something that i mean hey what i mean what kind of things are you guys willing to die for i mean don't answer but i mean it's just an interesting idea like what are you willing to sacrifice your own life for and she goes through that moment where she figures out that there's something more than just her but it goes it goes up to that moment and watching her progress through this entire scene exactly as he does and walks out onto the balcony and gets hit in the rain and even the conversation before when she starts like breathing internally and living this moment and all that stuff and she goes up there and it's raining on her and she throws her hands up in the air and you see the exact same progression that he had and it goes back and forth between the two and you have Dario Marianelli his music playing in the background which we haven't even brought up him but he's amazing but when she raises up her hands man and the music just swells i mean it's freaking like i'm melting into my seat my brain is just exploding with how powerful that is i want to like i was thinking about it the other day i was just listening to that song while i was working on homework and i like wanted to grab the chair out of my hand and slam it into a window next to me just like does anybody else get how cool this is right now this is the best freaking scene ever (laughs) (laughs) But I don't know. There's I this is when we're talking about your favorite scenes from any movie. This this is probably like top five for me. I really, really enjoy that scene. And I listen to that song, too. It's called Evie's Reborn. And I listen I listen to that score all the time. I don't listen to much of the other parts of the score, but that that particular song I listen to all the time. So, I mean, yeah, there's nothing, nothing better than that freaking breakthrough moment in her life where she just realizes that she's overcome. You know, she's just Mm -hmm. a different person. She's broken through a barrier and she's on the other side of it. It's freaking awesome. So I 100% agree. It's beautiful. Um, The the cinematography is out. It's, it's incredible. There's like lightning in the background, you know, everything that they did for it was really cool. Just a very, it's like the end of speed racer. Anytime we talk about which house it's just, uh, you know, and the, and the matrix when Neo, you know, the original, the matrix, when he stops all the bullets and, uh, it's just, there's these scenes in their movies that they just do so well. And their and their movie, their movies as well are just incredible. They do a really great job of setting up leading to one huge moment that you're just like, oh my gosh, all the dots connect. You know, it's just like, oh boy, what do I even do? Yeah. Yeah. I think they it do does. a good job of uh taking you on that journey and then like reliving it and showing the audience like here are all these ideas that we brought together and here's the culminating 
idea that we're trying to present. Like they do yeah. a good job of that. I agree. And transitions and like flashbacks as well, because during that scene, if you didn't have him standing in the fire as well, flashing back, it wouldn't be the same scene, but they just do such a great job of like cutting that. Also, whatever roar monster yell that he does is just like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I totally, I totally agree though. I mean that I was going to say that, 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 that roar that he lets out showing him with the, the fire and the background in that scene. Oh my gosh. It's so cool. And the first time they show it, it is so good. And then they show it again in that Evie's reborn scene. And that is just like, no, like I said, I melted into my seat. A yacht, if you will. Yeah. I jumped out of, yeah, I was a barbaric yop. I came out of my body and watched my body melt like the guy at the end of lat or Indiana Jones and just freaking face melting. (laughs) My face just melted off. (laughs) That's scary. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, cool. So that's, Favorite scenes. Knocked it out, guys. Good work. Good work. Um, Danny, why don't you, why don't you lead off with the, our favorite line here? Uh, yeah, like you said, there's like a million lines in this movie, so you kind of have to pick. This one I was a little bit, a tiny bit more obscure. Because, there, I mean, like... Uh, <laughs> I don't know how you What's managed to there? drop your phone so many times during these things. With the Skype just on propped it. up. Hold on. Is everything okay, Whoa. David? Um, my favorite line is, uh, let me see here. He says, no, because Creedy's like, we have guns, says something like that. And he goes, no, what you have are bullets in the hope that when your guns are empty, I'm no longer, I'll no longer be standing because if I am, you'll all be dead before you've reloaded. I love that line. I just think it's so like, it's so powerful and just so like confident and terrifying yeah. these guys It'd be so these, daunting to hear that as like a guy with like, your gun pointed at him you're like oh crap yeah like we all have guns <laughs> we're about to shoot this guy they have like the supreme upper hand you know Bullocks. they have every single leg to stand on and all of a sudden after he says that line they <laughs> they've lost about three legs they're like wait <laughs> <laughs> they're about crap. three legs lost I really hope that we can kill him right now. And they fire so many bullets at him. It's outrageous. He just yeah. takes it all. And then he does exactly what he says. And then, you know, he says that, what does he say? He's going to be holding Creedy. He's going to choke him out. wrapped around your neck. Bullocks. Yeah, he says that. Bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> that is so, yeah. What you going to do, huh? Bollocks. Um, what he says, um... He says, the only thing that we have in common is that we're both about to die. And then Creedy says, um, and how do you suppose that's going to happen or something like that? And he says, with my hands around your throat. And then Creedy says, bollocks, what you going to do? <laughs> what you going to do? You swept this place. You've got nothing. All you have are knives and your silly karate gimmicks. We have guns. <laughs> No, no, what you have are what yeah. you have are bullets. Did I, I get that, that mixed when your up? Your guns are empty. No, no, that was pretty good. That was it. Think. Okay. I mean, we you were could just continue. Had a better quote, delivery. Then, <laughs> what were you huh? saying? <laughs> we were we were just continuing the quote because he goes, "No, what you have are bullets." Yeah. Oh and yeah. When your so guns you got the quote, but your delivery was just poor. 
Yeah, your delivery on <laughs> bollocks. Bollocks. <laughs> Come on, that was pretty good. I think my no, bollocks is pretty kidding, good. Man. It's a little <laughs> deeper. It's like bollocks. Bollocks. That's what it is. That's what it's supposed to be. What are you going to do? Me the, let's bring up the bollocks thing. <laughs> what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I love that. Um, let's bring up the bollocks thing later because I have another point to make on that. But um, yeah, Danny, good good call, Danny. That is like, that is a genuine great example of what I meant when I said that you could pick any line from this movie and I would be like, yeah, totally. Yeah. That was yeah. that was one of like the top 10 that I had that I No, like, my was favorite line with. was bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just leading up to creepy. <laughs> no, mine's what you gonna do? <laughs> I think that actually karate gimmicks is one of my favorite lines in the whole movie because yeah. it's like when you watch V fight, is karate what you think at all? Like it just cracks me up that he used no, karate yeah. gimmicks. You know, it's just it's just silly. It's it's like he he reduces what he does to like. I'm not saying that karate is like a children's thing, but you know, it's like we all did karate when we were little and we picture that, ah, you know, it just, it just makes <laughs> yeah. just take what he's so doing much. less seriously. <laughs> like Dwight Schrute. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Dwight um, Schrute. <laughs> but awesome. Uh, Zach, let's, let's hear what you got for favorite line. <clears throat> you find your own tree. Yeah, is that no? I'm kidding. It's not. I was like, if that is, that's hilarious. He's quoting no. another movie within a movie. <laughs> <Kind of> Monte <laughs> Cristo. Whoa. Well, um, no. My favorite line is, <clears throat> "You made me understand that I was wrong. That the choice to pull this lever is not mine to make. This world, the world I'm part of, that I help shape, will end tonight, and tomorrow a different world will begin that different people will shape." And this choice belongs to them. So the reason that's my favorite is, um, I think, just because it's the culmination of the, you know, it's his to his death rattle um, that he's finally realizing that, you know, his idea has been accomplished and that it's now the responsibility of other people to continue this vision and preserve the world he was trying to create. So I think just the the fact that he relinquishes that power, I think, is a is a powerful thing to me that they can give it give up that power so gracefully and understand and have that catharsis for themselves in the end. Uh, So, yeah, that's that's my favorite line. Um, But it was a tough choice because, like we've been saying, anything that V says, you can be like, yeah, that's my favorite line, like the whole speech and the btn was great um Mm -hmm. yeah just any any line that v says you can that line's really powerful though you know this choice belongs to them because that scene that scene is like the most important scene i mean it is like the the tribute to v him laying there with oh what are those flowers called again scarlet carson carson's yeah, him laying there. I love how she just has this whole little thing made up for him and stuff. Tucked him in. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, that's, actually, that's beautiful. when like a thought that occurred to me last night when we were watching it was, uh, it's almost kind of like. No, I don't want to say creepy because it's not creepy. Like it is a tribute and an homage to him, but like 
it almost made me think of like Harley Quinn and her feelings towards the Joker in like the Batman games. Like you stumble across this secret little uh, shrine that she has to the Joker and it's all these like flowers around. And like, I just thought of the inspector's thoughts, like when he rounds the corner and sees V like dead on the explosives with the flowers around, he's like, ew. (laughs) <laughs> kind of like oh yeah oh, God. yeah what's going on here what's going on here <laughs> <laughs> what, are you, yeah. what are you doing here <laughs> yeah. so i mean and, and i don't want to like take away from how beautiful that scene is but uh you know it could be perceived as a little creepy <laughs> it's like helga's little shrine to arnold yeah yeah <laughs> oh gosh good point remember she has that in the closet oh, yeah. it's like a little she's like a little hair doll of arnold and stuff yeah, if Stupid you think about that, head. if he found that Helga is like secretly in love with him and just makes hair dolls out of him, I mean, boy, oh boy, that's too far hair off dolls, the deep end. That's another, that's another level. That's, I mean, that's creepy. That's weird. that is just straight. Yeah, that's like she's not going to be a normal person. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know if yeah. she'll be able to live in society later on in life. <laughs> you know, yeah, not be a perpetrator um, of some kind. <laughs> so for my favorite line, um, first off, I mean, it's good to note that the voila whole monologue is incredible. And the BTN speech that he gives to all of London is awesome as well. Uh, those are probably the best things to come out of the movie. I think that those are great monologues. Um, but for mine, I chose, uh, when he's discussing, uh, what he does, um, with Evie, I think it's in the kitchen and, uh, she's expressing how, um, she's always been afraid of the government and stuff like that. And he says, um, people should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. And that is just, it's such a good line. And I think that that, I I believe it was originally written by Alan Moore and that's a line directly from the uh, comic book or the graphic novel. Um, But it is very much one of those lines that I think transcends the movie. It's applicable Mm -hmm. to far more than just, just this scenario. I mean, you can just think about that in your everyday life that people should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. And so much of the fear mongering that happens in within today's society. I mean, that's, that's applicable because what is government other than, I mean, in a democracy, say, such as we have, you know, but an elected body of representatives that are supposed to represent the genuine interests of people. And any government should represent the genuine interests of what's best for the people. So it that is a great line, and it shows how far this society and this scenario has gone askew, where the people are so terrified by their governments, uh, by their government, excuse me. So that I I love that line, and that was that was one of those ones that I wrestled with for a while. There was also the ideas are bulletproof. I really liked that one as well. Um, yeah, there's that's, a couple that's of them definitely that, one to reference. That's a great one. Yeah, yeah. I wrestled between a few for a while, but I couldn't I couldn't let that one go and I think that that was I think that that was just the best. Like I said, it just kind of transcends the movie. Like it's it's more than more than just a line in this movie. It's a good it's a good thought. So. I agree. I think I love the idea of um cuz a lot of people have an opinion about something and they try to voice that opinion, but when you collectively get people organized and um, get people to, to, you know, stand together. That kind of power is something that can create change. Cause there's a lot of people that have opinions, 
about something and they always try to voice these things by themselves. And as soon as you can generate a collective of people, that's something to be feared, a body mm-hmm. of people. Um, right. And so, yeah, I really, I love that idea too. I, it's such a good line. When I heard that, I was just like, wow, you just don't really hear. I mean, it, I don't know. It's just like right there. All the lines in this movie are just so just right laid out for you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And if, if you're careful, you might, you might just might miss it. No, but, um, you know, if you're not careful, but sorry, First Bueller's um, day off. yeah. But if, you know, if you kind of, you know, uh, zone out during this movie, you can miss these things. They can Such just go good, right by beautiful you. lines because yeah. that's just, that's just a random scene when they're in the kitchen and he says uh-huh. one of the best lines in the freaking movie. Uh-huh. Um, what was I going to say though? Shoot. Well, I mean, that speaks to like the end of the movie as well, how he organizes all these people or he tells them, you know, let's give the fifth, give them a fifth of November that they'll never forget. And so many people do come out and voice their opposition to what's happening in their country. Like it's, it's really cool to see that. Um, so yeah, I love it. So, uh, yeah, Zach, I think that you had another thought that you wanted to bring up now that we're finished with the favorite scene, favorite line, favorite characters. Why don't you, why don't you bring up, bring that up? Uh, so just one thought that I had last night, um, I love the end of the movie when, uh, everyone starts taking off their masks and Evie says, you know, he was me, he was you, he was my mother, he was my father, he was Edmond Dante's like basically just saying that he was in all of us. Um, but everyone's taking their mask off and I really love when they start getting into, they, they shift from the the characters the minor characters that we've seen into characters that have uh passed away that we know are dead but they're still there in spirit but then we see Desmond the police chief assistant take his mask off and he's there and I was just what well, do you guys think that he's really there or is he just there like in spirit we kind of briefly touched on that last night and it was something that I didn't necessarily want to talk to at length about until we got here. But, um, I mean, yeah, there's so many people that came out and it looks like pretty much everybody in London, other than the military have gone out to support this cause. Um, I don't know. Do you think that he just was like, cause he found out so many horrible things that the government had done. You know, he found out that the way that that party uh, came into power was that they came up with a strand or a disease and inflicted it upon the population in three different centers. And then they, after the election was won, that they created the pharmaceuticals or they created, you know, whatever the magic pill was, the magic medicine uh, to, um, to cure that. And so, so he finds he finds out horrible things. So why wouldn't he? You know, right. how can you condone that sort of behavior within within your government? Even if you are part of that system, you st- you can't you can't possibly do that. So I, I think that I think that he did. I really think that that character um, in the end was won over by the information that he had gathered throughout the film. I, I kind of yeah, I kind of like. Um, what you said about Desmond when I was saying he was my favorite character that we, we sort of go on this journey with him and he's getting information at the same time we are like everyone else is like privy to this information, but he's receiving it at about the same pace we are. So he's, he's almost the most relatable character in the movie 
And we have to just like ask ourselves, like, would we be there on November 5th? And I think if the answer is yes, then I think Desmond was there, like actually Mm -hmm. physically there, not just a metaphorical representation. So I think he was there, but I just, I just thought it was interesting because when he shows up, it's at the point when we start to see people that are, are dead that wouldn't it's actually like be there. right in between. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's right in between. So what do you is think? His Danny? Name Desmond or is it Dominic? I, I don't Dominic. know. I messed up. I think you might be right. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, yeah, no, I was, <laughs> I was just looking. Yeah. I was sorry. I was just looking at the IMDB and I guess it's Dominic. Okay. Dominic. Too. Anytime I said Desmond, let's edit that out and just say Dominic, huh? <laughs> yeah, that'll Edit be it fun. Out and I'll just go Dominic. <laughs> Not my voice, go Dominic. <laughs> Bollocks. Bollocks. Um, <laughs> yeah, I uh that that whole ending scene is amazing. I love when the people that are you've seen people die and people have passed away or people have been black bagged and they start taking off the masks you and you can see all them. I just wanted to reference a scene really quick of the uh the fingerman um guy that kills the little girl and then all of a sudden like the people kind of surround him um and you see you know things are starting to take control i love that scene especially when everybody gets like the the masks and the capes and stuff in the mail people are wearing them around like that's i don't know super powerful but yeah i uh anarchy in the uk yeah exactly but i i think things i would imagine that um he was fully with the idea at that point. Cause I think it's kind of, it's almost referencing like where we're at as well. I think you, you, you said that right. Like, you know, we're, we're kind of in the same position as Dominic and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're in like the same, you know, but we're in like the same position as him, you know? Yeah. Um, as you know, finding out the information. So he's one of us. Okay. Um, First off, that's got to be the worst day of any mailman or postman's life. I mean, they sent out, he sent out so many <laughs> costumes in little boxes, hundreds of thousands, just going out to every citizen. Oh, man. They get that order and they're like, are you kidding me? You're shipping one to every single person. And these are big it's boxes, this entire outfit. This is every house we're talking about. It's every about. house in the neighborhood, in my section. <laughs> This is going way past junk mail. This is junk packaging. Be horrible. But okay, and they second all point. say fragile as well. It's like, oh, gosh. oh are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> what are those masks made of? Porcelain? <laughs> um, but uh, another point. Remember that little girl when she like watches that terrorist when she watches his address on the on the the broadcast or whatever and she's sitting in between her parents and it says that the terrorist has been killed and she goes bollocks and runs out of the room crying. Yeah, Yeah, she runs out of the room crying and says bollocks. Okay, if you're a parent and you watch like this whole terrorist thing go down and that addressed all the people and then that little girl watches the fact that this terrorist just got killed and she yells bollocks and cries and runs out of the room. A little concerned. Yeah. Uh, that your daughter's like harboring <laughs> anarchist <laughs> ideas. Yeah. Like, wow, just we're not even into it that much. <laughs> immediately supports the terrorist. 100%. <laughs> 
It's like, oh, <laughs> I thought that was, I thought that was a little weird. And she like that's really funny. takes that idea and runs with it, spray painting and which leads to her death. And that's why they focused on that character. But still, I thought that that little girl was an interesting portion of the movie. Um, bollocks. But bollocks. Cause she said bollocks. <laughs> Mostly because she said bollocks. <laughs> um, but here's something to bring up. Um, just, I wanted to ask you guys, uh, two questions. First being, do you think this society is possible in this day and age? Um, and even in the society in which it's represented, like, do you think that that's actually possible that a, you know, fascist regime could actually get away with doing this? You know what I mean? Like you saw it happen in the, I mean, it's a very similar situation that happens in the late 1930s and early 1940s in, in Germany. But do you think that could actually happen in this day and age where we are presented? We have such a large wealth of information. I really don't think that you could get a group of people to acquiesce to something like that unless there was a genuine, just imminent threat of just horrible things happening all at once, which it says are, but you know what I mean? Well, I mean, it's happening in North Korea right now, but besides that, that's a good point. Yeah. I think around the world, I can't, I, I don't think that could ever happen to the rest of the world. I think people are so, uh, uh, I mean, just with the internet and how much knowledge we have now or information in front of us, I don't think that that could happen. I don't want to think that that could happen. Yeah. I guess I should rephrase that. Yeah. There's, there's plenty of places in the world that this is very possible. And North Korea is a great example of a total like totalitarian regime, but yeah. And somewhere like in somewhere in like England, I don't think that this is possible for England to actually end up this way, you know, unless it it could be hundreds of years in the future, but in the near future, I just don't see, I just don't see it. But I I think if there was like a destabilization of the other like world powers, like it seems happened in this universe and people were, are scared, you know, in this huge outbreak happens, then you know, yeah, that could maybe, I could see it maybe happening, but we'd like to think that, um, we'd be mindful of history and a regime like that coming up again, like Hitler, you know, they, yeah. they, I mean, Sutler is so mimicked or so representative of Hitler. I think yeah. I actually just read about that, any dictator in that period for sure. Sure. Uh, you know they actually, fun- they oh, changed sorry, his did. name to Sutler. It wasn't Sutler, but they changed it to Sutler to sound more like Hitler. Wow. It definitely does. Yeah. So I think, I think maybe if other, if a lot of events would have to occur for it to happen. I mean, dominoes mm-hmm. just like these dominoes. Oh, that scene yeah. is so beautiful. That is the yeah the dominoes real dominoes sweetest scene. Yeah. Um, yeah, I uh, you know a, a scene that I thought was funny is the Sutler speech that he's giving. They show like this, they show like this huge speech that he's giving, and it looks like he's in front of like hundreds of thousands of people. And then it pans out, or it shows like the side of that speech that he's giving at one time, and it just looks like it's like a rally at a high school. (laughs) (laughs) It's seriously, there's like 120 people there. I miss that. It well, I mean, no, I I know what you're talking about. There's like a a shot from the side that makes it look not as impressive as you were led to. Not nearly as impressive, yeah, because it looks like you know when he's doing that, it's like. 
you know, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. doing hand gestures right now. Like everybody can hear or see somehow the hand gestures that I'm doing. Um, but yeah, it's, that's funny. Also, it's like a group of 20 soldiers just walking in a circle to make it look like an endless line of <laughs> soldiers marching. Oh, I know. On. Yeah. Just so many yeah. of them. You're like, that's the same guy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, no, never mind. Yeah. Well, it's yeah, but it's, it's an interesting movie because you do have, you know, we're living in this age of technology for the first time within any society. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And so there are various avenues that we could go go on. And this is a very dystopian look at what a future could possibly look like for a society. But um, it's it's very interesting to think of something like this could could happen and it is very possible but i mean it just depends on how negative of a view you have of of human beings in general yeah you know? it's and hey you know i'm not ruling anything out but i mean it would take it would take a lot i think for uh-huh. a, a group of people to fall this far because this yeah. is this is pretty bad so um anyway but another thing i wanted to ask is what happens after v succeeds here i mean he blows up blows up parliament uh, most of the main party members die. Um, so England is left without a lot of leadership. I mean, do they completely pick up the pieces and start where things were at or do they, is it a complete revolution? I mean, what, what happens after this? It's very, very interesting. And it would be much like any, uh, much like any revolution you place a new power within. And, uh, but I mean, do they learn completely from their mistakes? It's it's interesting to think about what, what happens to England after this movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think they'd change. I mean, after an event like that, like there's never been a revolution that grand where you're blowing up the House of Parliament and the party members have died in such a way, to my knowledge, that yeah. I think there would have to be a major revolution. and yeah. Definitely. It's a very like a different way of seeing things. It's a very Mm -hmm. ambiguous question because it's, I don't know how they would just pick up and like rebuild or would they just like make a completely different system They make a completely different uh, type of government. It's kind of strange. Like you'd have to keep some sort of structure the same. Yeah. I I mean, do they go back to the way things were like before that, you know, there's, there's a lot of avenues they could go down, but that was, that was something I kind of was pondering at the end. Um, but yeah. So as far as the rest of the movie though, is there anything you guys feel like you needed to bring up? Um, I think I said most of what I needed to say here. Oh, general Uh, Dan Aykroyd. (laughs) (laughs) Who? The guy, the general at the end of the movie, his name, his last name is Aykroyd. It said General Aykroyd. And so Zach and I were like, God, I love that. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Big speaking of that character trees. is Dan Aykroyd. Um, I, I would just, I just want to reference like the whole, I think her name's Valerie and all of that at uh, Lark Hill that they just kind of flash back and they go through all of that. Um, it's very reminiscent of like gas chambers and concentration camps. Um, they did a really good job at like kind of almost like mimic mimicking that and making it seem extremely real. But yeah, her story um, is, I mean, it's very intense and I just think it's very well done. And also Evie, just like just kind of bringing up Evie because I feel like maybe she wasn't talked about enough, but she's, I love that character. Also Natalie Portman did an excellent job. 
She's always great. I feel like she always delivers pretty well. Yeah, she's pretty good. She's our favorite actress. Yeah, no, we didn't talk really about your favorite her actress, as much as we Zach? No, no, I was just doing a Blair thumb. She's your favorite actress. No, it's Angelina Jolie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Angelina but, uh, Jolie. We didn't talk about her as much as we should have, and uh, she she is great. I mean, in Tomb Raider, she did a great job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Angelina Jolie is just terrific. <laughs> well, no, Natalie Portman is fantastic in this movie. Um, the scene where she gets her head shaved, that was actually her getting her hair cut off, and that was very, very effective. And uh, she was she was perfect for this role, and she's, uh, she's a great actress. And honestly, I feel bad that we didn't bring her up as much as we did, but we just had so much... So many other things to talk about, I guess, but she was fantastic. Right. So yeah, she was great. And yeah, Dario Marinelli, the music is freaking fantastic. Absolutely. Yeah. Love I the actually music found out this. he did a, uh, one of my favorite animated films, Kubo. Two um, strings. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I, he did the music for that, which I really enjoy the music for that. So, um, I love him, man. He, he does great music. He got a, he has a, he has an Oscar for his, uh, work on Pride and Prejudice too. So man, yeah. See, yeah. I found that out as well. The music in Pride and Prejudice is so good. Like I, and that's something I, it's one of those romantic movies that I, uh, I'm really into. It's like my girlfriend's one of my, it's one of her favorite, uh, movies. So I've watched it a few times and I've really come around to it. Mr. (laughs) Darcy. It is just terrific. It's delightful. Keira Knightley. Um, and, but yeah, his music in it is so powerful at certain scenes. It's just like, oh, I just love it. You know, it just ooh, gives me goosebumps. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I get some popcorn right now and pop it in. Heck, I actually might. I have the day off. <laughs> might as well, huh? Might as well just watch Pride and Prejudice by myself. <laughs> <laughs> no girlfriend needed. Yeah, a guy a guy can watch a romantic movie by himself. Right? Why not? <laughs> right? <laughs> you know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I would want to sit around and watch 13 going on 30 by myself. Maybe. Why do you always bring that up? Is that like your favorite? <laughs> <laughs> because I do. I feel like that's <laughs> Why do you always bring that up? <laughs> Because uh, it's kind of like my serendipity. I really love serendipity, but uh, 13 going on 30 is one of those. Oh, you know what? Sorry. This is a side story. But when I was, when 13 going on 30 came out, mom took me to it in the theaters and uh, I was like, okay, we have to go during the day. So like, you know, nobody from my class comes and sees me. And I was in like seventh grade or sixth grade or something like that. And uh, like four or five of the most popular girls in my grade walk in clearly see me sitting next to mom and go hi danny and then proceed to their seats i was dude i was highly embarrassing oh my gosh i sunk down in my seat i was like oh my gosh mom we have to leave she's like no it's okay it's okay honey mom was probably like hi girls (laughs) yeah i know yeah hi girls come sit next to us i'm like no mom (laughs) danny loves these types of movies he's a big big mark ruffalo fan Oh, I do have a sweet spot for Mark Ruffalo, though, because of that movie. No, me too. Well, not because of that movie, but I do like Mark Mark Ruffalo. You know, I haven't seen that movie in a long time. So I give it another Andy Serkis, man. Yeah. Razzles, too. Razzles. (laughs) Razzles. Um, But all right. Where were we? Back to V for Vendetta. Anything else? I think we covered it up, guys. I think uh, think we did. We did well enough. So good times. 
Um, but that brings us to the fair, to the big question here. And uh, should we ask Zach to start yeah. off here? Yeah. What do you think, yeah. Zach? Zach, is this movie better or worse than School of Rock? Better. For sure, better. <laughs> I know what how you, you say, guys Danny? feel about School of Rock. You weirdos. Do you not like School of Rock? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What, what's your problem with School of Rock? You don't think it's a great film? Oh, you don't think it's good? <laughs> well, Richard Linklater wrote it and directed. Did he di- write or just direct? He directed it too. Okay. He's great. I love him. <laughs> what's not to like then? So, well, then what else? <laughs> <laughs> well, then... Well then, what else? <laughs> well no, then, what's not to like about it? It's pretty. It's a pretty darn good movie, wouldn't you say? It's a good movie. Uh, <laughs> oh gosh! Sorry, you guys got you broke me. I would uh, say that uh, V for Vendetta is better than School of Rock as well, though. I would agree. It's a better. You put movie Jack than Black behind the mask. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Maybe you got gold. Maybe you got Blink a stew going. I honestly think that this movie would be improved if you put Jack Black in every single role. <laughs> if it was like an Eddie Murphy type, you know, yeah, like, like the clumps or something. Yeah, the clumps or something like that. Because I can just picture him doing like, let me repeat that godlessness. You know, it goes on a little thing. Then it shows him in like the little orange uh, pillowcase and stuff, like <laughs> like breathing all tight and stuff. And holding his arms up. God is in the room. Oh gosh! <laughs> and then doing the doing all the speeches for V. I mean, there's not a single role that wouldn't be improved if he, it was him, especially the little girl. Oh man, Bullocks. I don't know. Bollocks! Bollocks! <laughs> <laughs> all right, yeah, well, that's great. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good work, guys. That's V for Vendetta summed up better than School of Rock. So we give it our stamp of approval, and it's highly recommended. So, highly recommended. but Zach, thank you very much for joining us today, buddy. Absolutely. Very, thank you. Yeah, thanks very for having fun. me, man. Love doing it. Yeah, absolutely. we love you. We love you, Tube Sock. Love you, Tube Sock. Thanks, Dana. <laughs> or um, should I say, uh, the digs? We'll that's, edit that out. That's my name. <laughs> we we can one. edit that stutter out. Uh, here, let me do another take. Thanks, Diggs. <laughs> you got it, Dana. Or no, wait. I, I messed wait, that one uh, up. Your name's the Diggs. It's got to be your bowl. <laughs> it's got to be your bowl. Uh, okay, so first off, thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, we love all of your support. We've We've gotten pretty consistent with this thing, and we're... Super excited and uh, and happy to have guests on, such as Zach Hartman. Um, looking forward to having him back on the uh, on the show here extremely soon. We'll have to plan something out. But yeah, we are we are on uh, Instagram. It's at Professor Podcast. I've been posting a little bit more on there now. Um, so yeah, give that a give that a check out. We're making some you know funny stories, funny videos, um, and uh, kind of showcasing some of our artwork for the podcast. And uh, besides that, we are on iTunes. Uh, we've been very excited about that for a while now. So please subscribe, uh, leave a review if you want. Share us on Facebook. We're on Facebook, Professor Jones. Check us out on SoundCloud. That's like our main, main platform right now, um, Professor Jones. Also, we have a website, www.professorjones.com, that uh, I've been updating weekly. So yeah, subscribe, send us an email if you have any questions or want to nerd out with us. We are always down for that. Um, and let us know what you dig about the podcast. See what I see what I did there. 
I saw. That's very uh, yeah, nice. Big shout out to Michael Corson for the music, the intro and outro. Also, huge shout out for uh, to Leanna Preston for the amazing artwork. Um, she has a couple new ones coming out, so looking forward to that one. So, all right. Well, thanks a lot for listening, guys. We'll catch you next time. We'll be living our lives a quarter mile at a time. Bollocks. Thank you.